welcome to On the Preds with me, your host, Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports and Sean Smith of On the Forecheck. We are here to recap the Preds week, talk hockey, complain, rant, do uh, all that, maybe maybe put some things into perspective after just two games on the season. But uh, we've got uh, plenty to talk about. We actually have real hockey going on, and uh, Sean is here to talk about it with me. Sean, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. Uh, pretty excited to be uh, talking about real hockey, like you said. Preseason's nice, but at the end of the day, what happens in those games doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. And uh, unfortunately for the Predators, what happened in these two games does count because they, they lost their first two games. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think... I think most fans are just happy that hockey's back. I don't think too many people are worried right now, but uh, I don't know what your perspective is on that. But I, I think I think for the most part, people are, are just okay with hockey being back. It's not time to, to panic yet, right? Would you say the same? I, I mean, it, there's people who are going to panic because I think, you know, maybe they're new to the sport and they think that you've got to win straight <laughs> out and that any kind of losing streak, whether it's the first two games of the season or what, actually – you know, mean something, but the way I look at it, and we've got to be really, really realistic about what the team looks like this year. There's a lot of new guys on the team. There's a yeah. lot of guys who are playing together for the first time, a lot of guys who are being switched in and out. And I, I really think, Alex, you know, I, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, they put Grimaldi in, they must not have been happy with Tomasino, but I really think they're just seeing what they've got right now. Uh, you're going to yeah. see some of those spots rotate on, on the forward lines <laughs> and with the defense as well. So, I'm not, and we'll talk about shocked. that as well. We'll talk about that that change as well, and yeah. we'll, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot. Uh, um, I think it's it's tough to really find an area the Preds are doing well at right now, but you know, we'll we'll talk about that. Let's go ahead and recap the two games from this week. Um, so let's start on Thursday. Smashville was rocking. Uh, the everyone was ready to see what a competitive rebuild is really all about. Tomasino gets his debut. UC Soros is in the net. Matias Ekholm has a contract. Everyone is healthy. Early on, things were really working well. Ellie Tolvanen gets the early goal <clears throat> to put the Preds up 1-0. Um, but then this late stretch in the first period kind of dooms the Preds. Back-to-back power play goals, one by Jared McCann, one by uh, Brandon Tanev. And the Preds are down 2-1. to one. And then uh, Roman Yossi ties things up from the point on a 5-on-3 uh, power play. But then Alex Winberg is just wide open on the back door and puts the cracking up three to two. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Preds have a late rally, kind of. And then, uh, the, you know, the, the, I think they, <clears throat> the the Kraken got an empty net goal to make it four two. And then uh, I can't, I think it was a Grandland had a, had a goal to, uh, to make it four three. But um, at the end of the day, the Preds put themselves into the history books by becoming the first win for the Seattle Kraken in their franchise history, four to three, was the final. So, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, on Thursday's home opener? Well, I think Thursday. At first off, I'm gonna let me address this first. You mentioned going in the history books as the uh, the first the first win for the Seattle Kraken, and you know, let's be realistic. Every new team's got to win at some point. Um, do you remember who the Predators got their first win against by any chance? The Panthers, I think, right. Was, I believe it was the Hurricanes. Was it? I think so. And I, I feel like, you know, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, the Hurricanes went on to uh, to continue being a hockey team. They even won a Stanley Cup. So it's not it's not the biggest deal in the world to be a franchise's, you know, first, 
first uh, win opponent when you're out there. I, I don't think that yeah. matters, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's not ideally what you want, but it was you're bound correct. to happen sooner or later. And these, sure. these expansion teams are not the same as they used to be. They're, they're coming in a little bit, you know, better stacked than say the predators were when they started. So uh, just real quick, you were correct. It, it is the hurricane. The first game was against the Panthers. Um, I was I was at that game, but uh, yeah, definitely the first win was the t- three nights later uh, against the yeah. Carolina Hurricanes. But yeah, c- continue. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, it just it's not that big of a deal. But as for that game specifically, I think, like you said, it was kind of like just a failure to really get going and apply the kind of pressure they needed to apply early on in that game. Um, yeah, and I think that's really what doomed them. If you if you had a full game of what we saw in the third period, I think we're talking about a different start to the season. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely uh, – you know, I, I think that there's something to the fact that uh, Seattle had already played a game. I think the, and the Predators actually talked about that a little bit, the skate the players did after the game. I, I don't – you know, you, you don't want to put too much stock into that because they still were a brand-new team and they didn't – they hadn't played with each other really at all. Right. Um, but, you know, the, the – the first night jitters and you, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't have any, any chemistry or anything. I saw that a lot. I mean, like there was, there was just, the passing was terrible. Um, they, uh, they weren't really playing together and you saw some of that in the second game too. So there, there was a a good bit of that kind of poor, poor chemistry, poor playing together, uh, going on in the first, the first game and, and some, some in the second game as well. You know, I, I, that, that stuff will, you know, they'll gel and, and there, we'll talk more. There, there's, there are some, some combinations that work, have been working okay to start. Uh, not, not great, but have been working okay. <clears throat> um, let's talk about Saturday. Um, just because I want to go ahead and get, t- talk about both the games first and then we'll, we'll go back and reassess everything. So on Saturday, there's a couple lineup changes. Uh, of course, they're hosting the Carolina Hurricanes for like the 18th time. You know, they just they continue to play the Carolina Hurricanes all the time. A um, couple lineup changes. Rocco Grimaldi is in for Tomasino. Uh, Mark Borbietsky is in for Ben Harper. Um, and the Hurricanes get on the board first. Jesper Faust, who is fast, yes. Jets down the left side. Ekholm has to pinch in on the pass to play the 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 to play the pass because he's, you know, he, he knows he's got Soros back there to, to um, in net. And he knows that he needs to prevent the wide open back door. And, uh, but fast beats Soros on the glove side um, to make it one, nothing uh, later in the period, Tanner, you we thought got locked in the penalty box, but it turns out that he didn't, the, it, the clock was just wrong. Um John Hines, we asked John Hines about that after the game, and he said he had no idea what happened. He thinks that the clock was wrong, but he knows. But if you watch the play, all of the Predators on the bench were furious because Tanner Janot was not coming out of the box. I think because the clock said he was supposed to come out of the box, but apparently the clock was wrong. That's that right? that's that's what I understood, and I was yeah. I was in the arena as a fan, <laughs> and uh, I. First off, it was really exciting to have something to shout about. But um, yeah. one of my favorite parts of, of being at a hockey game is the shouting. That and the booing, but besides the point. Here's the thing. I, if you recall, after that second penalty, they took a minute to reset both of the clocks, and I, or at least on the scoreboard. So when you were looking at Fang Vision, 
Um, that penalty disappeared. They reset it for a specific time. I think it was okay. a minute and 23 seconds. Um, so I'm assuming that maybe there was some miscommunication between the officials and the board and the officials in the box. And then you ended yeah. up with that discrepancy. And, you know, you got to think if it went the other way, Carolina would be shouting right now about him getting out early. So, yeah, I, I, I think it was kind of much to do about nothing. I, I think it was just odd when it was happening because the, the entire president oh, yeah. was just going crazy. Um, uh, but anyways, the uh, so. The, the second period was a really good one for the Preds. Uh, they really started fighting back against Carolina, uh, getting more physical. They were jumping on loose pucks, which was really yeah. good to see. Like, they were actually getting to those loose pucks. Ryan Johansson gets, uh, takes a puck from center ice. He gets around Brady Shea and scores on a really nice backhander over Frederick Anderson. That tied the game at one. So it was 1-1 going into the, into the third, and you felt like the Preds had all the momentum. Yeah. And then – just a, a lobbed puck gets over Dante Fabro at center ice. There's a two on one and Andre Svechnikov, who's very good, uh, scores to make it two to one with about six minutes left. And again, they, they, they try to, you know, a late rally, they pull UC Saros and then there's an empty net goal. And the exact same thing happens. Forsberg yeah. scores with like 40 something seconds left uh, to make it three, two final. Very odd that the first two games, ended with a one goal deficit in which the goal deficit was an empty netter. That yeah. doesn't happen very often. Uh, usually empty netter games are a two goal deficit. This case, it was one. So that's very weird, but um, yeah, that, that, so that was the second game. The final two, the final was three to two. Uh, any, any immediate thoughts on the second game there on Saturday? Immediate thoughts is I'd much rather have Sveshnikov scoring against the team than Tanev. So um if that's what you've got to work with and you want to look at that as improvement, that's great. But like you said, really, really an odd start to the season. And, and at least you do see the team pulling the goalie and scoring some goals, even though it's after an empty net goal. But I, I think the, the big thing here, you always hear that argument that if you're going to the, the statistical argument, that if you're going to pull the goal, you need to pull him sooner. And it seems like in both cases, the predators can score those goals with the six on five, but they just run out of time to get the second one they need after allowing the empty net goal. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of an interesting, an interesting first two games. Uh, you know, you'd like to, you'd like to obviously have at least one win there, but uh, let, let's actually hear from John Hines for a second. Cause this was after the game on uh, Saturday. And I think this tells you a little bit about where he thought the second game was better than the first game. So let's hear that real quick. John, when you're, when you're this early in the season, what's the balance like of, of making sure you give your lines enough time to gel, but also maybe not leaving them together too long? How, how do you guys balance that as a coaching staff? Well, I think you always evaluate every game. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that go into it. Just you know, how they're, what's the chemistry look like? Are they, are they winning shifts? You know, what are their opportunities for and against look like? So I think a lot of it is just you know trying to make sure that. Um, you give give guys an opportunity to do it, but if something's really not working, then I think you want to change it. Uh, but I also don't think you just want to have a knee-jerk reaction to it. It's also sometimes part of the coaching and and working with the players is you know if you like certain combinations, maybe something's not going as well as it needs to. Sometimes you know you can sit together as a line with one of the coaches and talk about certain things. Maybe they're not playing as connected as they need to be. Uh, you know, but we do basically do that after every game, and we'll have a film review tomorrow and see where we go on Monday. 
So that was actually John Hines talking about, sorry, I forgot that I put that clip in there. Uh, that, that was John Hines talking about the, the changes from line, uh, from, sorry, from game one to game two and kind of how, how does he balance giving guys uh, enough of a chance to play together? Um, you know, there weren't a ton of changes. It wasn't like they, they, um, uh, it, it wasn't like a totally new lineup or anything. There were a couple changes, you know, obviously Grimaldi was in and then uh, Borbietsky came in right uh, on game two, but uh, he's kind of trying to, you, you have to have a really good balance of like giving guys enough chance to play together and develop some sort of chemistry. Uh, but also when something's not working, um, making a change a, a, as quickly as you can. Uh, to me, that has got to be one of the hardest parts about being a head coach in this league is uh, how do you, how do you balance that? Because if, if guys have one or two bad shifts in a row, you really can't panic. You can't just say, well, we got to, we got to change it up. And this is what fans don't really understand is like you guys get 30 seconds, 40 seconds of a shift maybe. And then they get another one, maybe like three minutes later. And you don't, it's all puck context. You know, they might go out there and not even, and and be stuck in their own zone because it's a, because the other team that that's how the, the line changed. There's, there's so many things to think about in terms of, you know, in a, in a small amount of time, how much is this one particular line or pairing work working? Uh, so to not panic too much, but at the same time, I do think it was okay to bring Grimaldi in on Saturday because like he has experience playing well against Carolina. Tomasino was not great in game one. He, he really struggled. Uh, I, I think Tomasino will get more chances. I think he'll probably play on Tuesday against LA, but, um, so yeah, what do you think? I mean, I, the, that that to, to me says John Hines is is prepared to give his guys more time to play together than than not in order to really see what they can do. You know, I, I think a lot about about the return to play back. I can't I can't think of a season year yeah. because everything's thrown off at this point. But <laughs> when they went to the bubble and they played in in Edmonton, and one of the things I think a lot of people were criticizing Hines for at that point in time was that he continued to ice the same lines, even after they weren't winning the games. And one yeah. of the things he said was, I'm, I'm going to put the players that I think are best suited to the game on the ice every night. And, and that's always stuck with me because it tells me that he at least is aware that every game is going to be different. You're playing against a different opponent, but at the same time, I think he also knows that, randomly throwing someone into a line when they haven't been playing with that line is probably not going to be effective either. And that's, I think that's where you had a lot of frustration with the La Violette line blender um, a few seasons ago where you never knew who was playing where each night and they never had a chance to gel. Hines is a huge proponent of chemistry and lines having an identity. And so where we knew a couple seasons ago, that third line's identity with Nick Benino, Rocco Grimaldi, and Craig Smith, it's going to have a different identity this go-round because those guys, for the most part, aren't here, and you're looking at different personnel. So where we know what the fourth line looks like, we know who they are and what they're supposed to be, we're really in a transitional year with the third line, whereas the first and second lines, it's kind of business as usual. Fourth line, it's the same. You're going to see a lot of fluctuation on the third until somebody gels there. Yeah, tr- definitely transitional is how I describe that third line, especially because you got Cody Glass in there, new guy. You got Tomasino, new guy, and then Grimaldi, not a new guy, but 
he's never played with those guys before. Right. Same thing with Cousins. The other the other lines have looked better, but even defensively, uh, if you noticed on Saturday, so Roman Yossi had been playing with Alex Carrier, um, has been playing with Alex Carrier for a while now. Yeah. But then at the end of the first, Carrier goes to the box, and so at the beginning of the second, uh, Carrier is in the box. So Yossi starts with uh, Dante Fabro. And that's that's why they started together. But Heinz kept it even even after well well after uh, Fabro oh, sorry Carrier got out of the box, Yossi stuck with Fa- with Fabro. I think they looked okay together. I think they were fine. But like it, it's it's all those things that become dependent on the game situation. When a, when yeah. a one of your top four defensemen goes into the box, you got to shuffle some, some things around. And does it make sense to just shuffle them for two shifts and then go back to where they, what the way it was or? If they look okay in those first two shifts together, Yossi and Fabro and Ekholm and Myers, I guess it was. No, Ekholm and Carrier. I can't remember. Yeah, Ekholm and Carrier because uh, it was Myers and Borbietsky. Uh, if you if they look okay, just stay with it. Keep, keep with it. No, no, need, no need to just go back to the way it was in the first right. period just because. So defensive pairings especially are, you know, they're, 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 those are – the most important in terms of like not letting the game get away from you, because yeah. if your defensive pairings are not together, um, things can go bad quickly. Um, and, and when you have a guy like Roman Yossi who can really adapt to anyone's playing style, uh, you're okay. But you know, what happens when you get, when you throw Ben Harper out there, when you throw uh, um, Philip Myers, who's just, who just joined this team and uh, you know, it's not, is not of the talent level of Roman Yossi or Matthias Ekholm. What happens with Mark Borbietsky, who's just coming back from injury? So there's a there's a lot of defensively. I think they've still got to figure out who are their top six defensemen. Yeah, I think you know I think we're pretty certain who several of the top six are. I think you're just going to see that kind of shuffling between. And I, I again, I don't necessarily think that Fabro is going to find his way out of the top six. I just think you're going to see some shuffling between uh, Borvietsky, Benning, and Harper um, based on need. And I, I don't know, I, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of Matt Benning, especially with the way he seemed to elevate his play toward the end of the season uh, last go-round. But, um, you know, in the middle of the game, like you said, you have someone go to the box, you have to make some, some changes. There is no reason to put things back the way they were if the new thing isn't working very well. You go with what works. But let's, I mean, honestly, it doesn't really matter, I think, who you play with Roman Yossi. He's going to elevate their game regardless. I, I don't think I've ever seen him play with anybody that's become a worse player because they've played with yeah. Roman Yossi. So I, I know that he's, well, you can you can put Fabro in there and Fabro looks really good. And I think I think Fabro kind of kind of is a chameleon in that sense. And he kind of goes to the level that he's playing with. So if he's playing with Yossi, I think he's a much better player. If he's playing lower with someone who's not as talented as Yossi, which is a lot of people aren't as talented as Yossi, um, you know, he's his play isn't going to be as good. So when you see him make that move, I think that's great. They keep it that way. He plays well. That's awesome. It just makes him, it makes him a better player. It makes him look better. I feel like Carrier right. is going to be Carrier uh, regardless of where he's playing. You know, he's not – Alex Carrier has not looked – well, it, it's early. I, I don't I, – I think he's looked probably very similar to his, his play last year. I, should, I, should, I shouldn't jump to conclusions too much. I, I, I do not feel like I'm jumping to conclusions by saying that Ben Harper does not need to be in this lineup. 
I, I don't I don't think anyone really thinks Ben Hart it it, it continues to boggle the mind. Um, he would clear waivers if he went to Milwaukee and he would go to Milwaukee and be a excellent player for Milwaukee in terms of veteran leadership, in terms of like his his blue line capability on like a second pairing. It's pretty sad when you talk about how, hey, this guy would be a good second pairing defenseman in Milwaukee and he's getting minutes in the NHL. Ben Harper's a great guy. He's, I, I, I think he's, he seems like such a good dude, but he's just not an NHL player right now. And I think that the moving to Borvietsky on Saturday was more about Harper just didn't get it done. And I, I, they, they do need to play Borvietsky. I mean, they paid the guy. They need to get They need to get him in there. But let's move on to, uh, to talk about the top forward line. So if we're talking about things that are gelling, um, I would like to focus a little bit on Ryan Johansson and that top line, because I think that they have had a pretty good start. Uh, and I actually want to start by showing this goal that Ryan Johansson scored on Saturday, because it, it highlights a couple of the things that I think he is particularly good at that. I don't think anyone else on the predator. Well, I'm sorry, very few other skaters on the predators can do. So let's take a look at this goal. This is in the second period. Is that right? From, uh, from Saturday against Carolina. Now Carrier. Predators seem to be rotating the five defensemen and maybe spotting Borvietsky. He hasn't played much since last year. Here's a steal by Johansson. Right up the middle. The backhander. Score! Ryan Johansson. What an individual effort. Look at that read. And he gets on his horse immediately and just overpowers the Carolina Herner. Brady Shea and shoveled it. Watch this. Uses his big body position. Gets that stick out wide. Very nice goal. Um, couple things there. Uh, and, and this is what some what a lot of people don't um, think about when they, when they talk about Ryan Johansson. His size and reach made that goal happen. And that is something that not a lot of players can do. I think Philip Forsberg is the only other player forward – uh, pro probably player, maybe maybe Matias Ekholm could do something like that too. But uh, the only forward on the team, only other forward on the team that can make a goal like that happen because he had he had vision to see it. He has the the reach uh, of the, to to be able to intercept that pass and the size and the physical ability to be able to at full speed with the puck shield off a very good defender in, in Brady Shea. Yeah, and then the puck skills to finish. So uh, people always talk about, you know, Ryan Johansson not shooting enough. I don't think that that's necessarily as much of the issue as it is uh, just not seeing enough plays like that one we just saw. I mean, that that right there to me is prototypical Ryan Johansson owning the middle of the ice, making things happen, using his size to to get goals, to, to get to put pucks in the net. Yeah, that's that's cup run Johansson right there. <clears throat> yeah. I think I think back to something John Hines said before, and this is a while back when uh, there were a lot of questions around Ryan Johansson's play with the team, and he made the comment that um, when Ryan Johansson was a willful skater, and that was I always have to go back and find where he said this. So I want to make sure I, I was misquoting him once as saying a willing skater, but it's a willful skater. When he's willful. a willful skater, he's he's hard to stop, and I think you really see that in a play like that one. Um, controlling the center of the ice. And, and I believe, what did he say? He had those big, long orangutan arms. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's a real thing. He's got. Ryan Johansson said that about himself, right? Yeah, he did. 
Um, yeah. he, he was he's in a got good mood last night. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's in, you know when when he has a good game, he's in a good mood, um, and that's good. <laughs> yeah. You want you want people to feel good because they played well. Um, yeah, I know there's the big thing where, okay, when you talk to a player after a loss, you know, leadership is, you know, accepting responsibility for, you know, the, for the loss. But the, the reality here is he, he played a good game. He's been playing very well. And I think you like to see that whether they're winning or losing, you know, that eventually if they keep playing well and they keep staying positive, which is another big Heinz thing is their, their mental state. So, you know, if you stay positive, the wins are going to start coming, especially when you're playing like he's playing. Yeah. Um, just on, on the, the Johansson after the game, he, when he came in um, to the press area, he was, uh, he seemed like, I mean, look, Ryan Johansson's one of those guys that like after games pre COVID when you're in the locker room yeah. is just like kind of must see television. Like he, yeah. he's, he's always got a, a, something funny to say. He's always going to make a comment. Uh, he's always going to bug other people in their interviews. He's very, very engaging and and funny person. I mean, he's just a, he's an entertaining guy. So after the game last night, he said uh, he he comes in and just he was he looked very happy to see you know media there. Like he didn't he he didn't he wasn't uh, he wasn't blowing smoke either. He looked like I'm really glad to see you guys because it's been a long year and a half. Um, and then, but anyways, in addition to that, he talked a lot about how good the, how, how well the team played in, in game two. It's just like, it was unfortunate. It was ended up in a loss, but he said that there were so many positives from, from that game. And I would say that his line was one of those in just real quick, some advanced stats here. So he, in 24, even strength minutes, that line, Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane and Philip Forsberg, 64%. Uh, shots for shots, shot attempts for Corsi for uh, 80% high danger chance for and a 61% expected goals for. Those are, I mean, those are like all star numbers, those, those yeah. are those are top line in the league numbers. Now, that's only 24 even streak minutes. That's not gonna that that will fluctuate, it's not gonna be that all year, especially not the high danger chance, right? But they and they just haven't turned it into many goals, they've only turned it into one goal so far uh in in two games however that is exactly what i expected to see out of the top line i think that that pairing of johansson forsberg and duchene is a really really good one and i think it's good to see that that's happened so far that that we that they've they've actually turned that into really good on product on ice production i i think we talked about this a little bit before you know you've got you've got a first line that that costs a lot of money right yeah. And you expect them to play like they cost a lot of money, but you have to think that the motivations for those guys on that line um, all line up really well for them to be playing at the top of their abilities every night. Uh, Forsberg playing for whatever his next contract's going to be. And you, you've got to assume that Johansson and Duchesne feel the pressure of being left exposed in that expansion draft and not being taken. Um, so I, I think that line set up for a great year. And, and like you said, the numbers are great. You're just not seeing it translate into as many goals as you'd want to see. But again, we're talking about a, a two game sample size. There's 80 yeah. games left. We've got plenty of time for that to start happening. And I assume it will. I really do. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy it, with that line. Yeah, for sure. And if you, if you have one line that produces, I mean, that's that's more than they probably had last year. They didn't have yeah. they they had 
they had the Trennan, Sissons, Janot line that was producing in kind of a different way. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have anything close to that. I mean, they had because they had injuries and they had the the post the shortened season with the the rushed schedule and everything. <clears throat> I I don't and looking at the other forward lines, you know we we've, we've seen not not a great start from them. I, I would say I, I, the the Grandlin, Tolvin, and Cunning line at five on five has not been excellent. Uh, Trent and Sissons, you know, they always pass the eye test. They're they're that 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 team that line that just every single time you watch them, they look fantastic. I mean, <laughs> everyone loves watching that line. But then you look at their numbers, and their numbers are just like okay. I mean, they, part of it is they they are they're getting a lot of defensive minutes, and they're yeah. they're going up against their competition's pretty hot, pretty tough sometimes. But uh, I I think that I don't you know you don't mess with that line at least not yet. Sissons, Jano, Trent, and keep them together, right? Yeah, they're not they're not doing any, they're not doing anything that would want you'd want to take them off the ice for, right? Yeah, uh, and like you said, you know, I'm not I'm not a big numbers <laughs> guy at all, just in the simple fact that. I don't understand them very well. And I sometimes I feel like the weird outcast of the hockey world. But, you know, when you say the numbers don't really show that they're lights out, well, like you said, there's a lot of defensive minutes in there. They're playing against some pretty stiff competition some, sometimes. And that's that's what they're there for. They're not going to have the same numbers as the first line. Otherwise, they would be the first line, right? Uh, yeah, I think I just mean, like, you know, they're, they're, t- technically speaking – their shot attempt for share is below 500, which is not, or below 50%, which is not what you want. Expected goals are not that high. I, I, t- for that line, I particularly do not care because they are doing something else out there. They they are not only out there, like they're not ignoring the puck. I mean, no. Trennan and Janot have really good puck skills. I mean, yeah. in the first two games, you saw them do that. You saw them, you saw them nearly score several times. Yeah. Um, but the, the the biggest thing is that they are they are for the most part playing some pretty high event hockey. Like they're 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 going for the hits, and so if they don't get them, that's kind of gonna lead to some chances for the other team. But when they get them, they're gonna then that's gonna lead to chances for them because they're gonna right. have a free puck and then they're gonna have usually an odd man rush or at least a, a two on two of sorts. So like it's very high event. Yeah. Uh and it, it's just it makes it really fun to watch. The other line that we haven't talked about yet is the one with Cody Glass as center. That to me has been the worst line so far. I'm not really sure what to think about that because Cody Glass has had two different wingers on his right side, and then he's got Nick Cousins. I, I really don't know what you do with that line right now. I, I mean, to me, that's actually the fourth line. I think the Sissons line is the third one, and then this Glass line is the fourth one. Boy, it's not a good start for Cody Glass in the first two games. Uh, he's been pretty invisible. Uh, I haven't seen too much that has impressed me. Um, it's early, but I, I don't. I don't know that that line is really um, has a. I don't think that line has a clear direction. Like, what what are they good at? I, I don't. I don't really understand yet. Yeah, there's there's not an identity for that third line, and I, I think <laughs> you know there wasn't immediate fourth line identity last year either it it was something that had to develop over time and it it really came through injuries and call-ups and so i'm not saying that's what needs to happen here i'm just saying i think they need more time and there there is some personnel shifting that can happen they've just got to find something that works and i think that i don't think the season success you know is a pass or fail based on that third line finding an identity as much as I think it's based on the first line 
you know, well, playing I mean, like they need I, to play. I, I, but here's here's what I would say about that. I mean, look, Cody Glass is the guy that they traded to get. I mean, they traded to get. They traded Ryan Ellis to get Cody Glass and Philip Myers. True. They they really do need Cody Glass to be. I mean, he's only twenty two, right? Twenty two years old, I think. Yeah. They they need Cody Glass to be a good player. They can't they can't uh, trade away someone like Ryan Ellis and not have Cody Glass come in and be at least a forty point player. I mean, he's got he's got to at least put up some some points. Well, I think he's going to put up points. I just I don't think you necessarily need to say you know like this this is the success or failure of the season rests on the shoulders of the oh line. I, yeah you know I, I, yeah sure i think you give them some time and i think they figure some things out i think again he's young number one number two this is was his second game with the team and number three yeah. his his line had different personnel from the first game to the second game it's going to take a minute to find footing with with that i'd like to tonight. i think i'd like to see him go back to tomasino uh i think the last two shifts, if I remember correctly, the last two shifts, maybe the last shift and a half, with Glass and Tomasino out there, they they made some stuff happen. They 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 offensively they kind of found their their legs a little bit, and then of course Grimaldi comes in on Saturday. But uh, I would like to see them go back to Tomasino. Uh, I I mean, look, why not why not put Rocco Grimaldi and Tomasino out there? I mean, I know. Traditionally speaking, you want a left wing, uh, a, a more physical. I mean, they're they're not going to bench Nick Cousins. He's going to play no matter what. So uh, because he's just contractually, they they need to have him in there. Um, and he's not. I mean, unless he plays poorly enough to where they they have to bench him. Well, right now he's on the power play, and that's uh, another issue. But, um, anyways, I guess what I'm saying is I, I'd like to see Thomasina go back with Glass and see if they can maybe recapture some magic that they saw at the end of that game on two, a Thursday. Well, let me ask you a question. The, at the end of the game on Thursday, those last two shifts, wasn't Tolvanen playing on that line with them? He was. With, You're right. Last Marzino. And right. that he seemed was. like there was chemistry there. And that's something that they may yeah. look at down the road. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe you put Nick Cousins with Granlund and Cunning instead, switch them up. That's not a bad idea. It's not, it's not a bad idea. I think, you know, and, and what does that do to the second line? It gives them a little bit more of a physical edge in that situation um, because you now have uh, Cousins and Cunning who are both not shy at all about physical play. Um, Especially because the offensive ceiling of Tolvanen, Glass, Tomasino is much, much higher than yeah. Gramland, Tolvanen, and Cunning. Now, not that those guys are uh, – bad but like the, the man that that could be a huge line if that if that line got going tolvin and uh glass and thomasino that would be something else well that's that's a line that i think if they come together they build an identity that's a line you're going to be talking about into the future for a few seasons with this team yeah so i you know it's it's funny that you mentioned the that it, they looked good those last two shifts when those were the shifts where tolvin and joined them and so I, I think there's definitely something to that. I don't know that they're necessarily willing at this point to say, hey, you know, Ellie, we're going to put you on the third line with these guys. Um, but I, I would look for that to happen in the future. I think I think they may make that change <clears throat> just to see what happens. But I think they're uh, still just shifting. So, yeah, speaking of uh, we're talking about Nick Cousins, I, I, was, I was just going to go ahead and mention this. Uh, so if, if anyone out there is uh, wants a good laugh, I uh, <laughs> I tweeted during the game. I mean, as I'm 
want to do. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm tweeting about the Predators as I'm watching the Predators because I write about the Predators. Uh, I'm tweeting about Nick Cousins, and I said that Nick Cousins was bad on the power play or something like that. I think I said, uh, I think, I, I think I said Nick Cousins on the power play is bad or something like that. It was pretty innocuous. It wasn't even that um, serious of a tweet. But anyways, uh, immediately after the game. Nick Cousins liked my tweet. Now, I did not tag Nick Cousins in the tweet. I tweeted it with his full name. So what that means is that immediately after the game, Nick Cousins went on his phone and searched his own name, found my tweet, and liked it. But I'm confused, and I want to get your opinion on this. He liked that tweet that said that he was bad on the power play. Does he agree with me? I doubt it. I, <laughs> why, I don't know. Why would... Because he was—it wasn't like he—he uh, he also didn't block me, or like uh, you know, tweet at or quote tweet me or anything like that. So I don't know. It's very confusing to me. Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's maybe he was just going through searching his name and just liking whenever he was mentioned. It's entirely yeah. possible. I, you know, I think the thing about—I think it's kind of hard in in the world of uh, you know covering sports is that you know I think for a long time. If you if you look back through the history of sports coverage, especially, um, you know, there was really no other interaction between what you saw on the field or on the rink or on the court or whatever. And, you know, maybe those moments after the game or in the locker room. Um, but now you have you know so many things that you say are just out there in the in the general public. And it's easy to, to search for your own name. It's like say yeah. never Google yourself or never do that, um, you know, but. You know, is it all publicity is good publicity, right? I mean, what did yeah. what did Dale Earnhardt say? You know, even if they're booing, at least they're making noise. So, you know, that's well, and just 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 in the interest of keeping it objective. Look, I mean, my my tweet was not very objective. My my tweet was just an, an opinion tweet. But let's right. keep it objective for a second. I I and I tweeted about this uh, a few nights ago, or um, right before. It was a week ago, actually. It was before games even started. In 372 career games, 372 career games, Nick Cousins has 374 power play minutes. Now, since since I tweeted that, it's probably like 380 or whatever it is, 375. Um, he has a grand total of 17 power play points. So in in all of that time, 17 power play points, six goals and 11 assists. Uh, that's not very good. That is not a very good rate. That tells me that he's not a he's he's a replacement level or below player on the power play, which is never what you want. You want skill and you want production because power play is supposed to be where you're supposed to get goals, and he's getting them at a lower level than you would expect a normal power play producer to get. Um, as a comparison, Ellie Tolvanen. Uh, already has 13 power play points in about a hundred minutes. So in like a third of the time, he has almost the same amount of points because Ellie Tolvanen is a power play guy. He's a, he has the skills to produce on the power play. He's a shooter. He's a good passer. He's a skilled player. Nick Cousins is not that. Now, having said that, Nick Cousins is a fine player. I, I think he's he's suited for the penalty kill. He can play some good, tough defensive minutes. He's very good at getting under the skin of other people. Um, but yeah, so anyways, just to, to keep it objective, he is ostensibly not a good player on the power play. He's not what you want out there. He just doesn't have the skill set 
or the production to back it up. So, you know, you have to think too, it's probably not a situation though, where he's saying, Hey coach, put me in. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's the personnel they're deciding to put out on there. He's going to do the best. That's why I wondered why he liked it. I want, you know. I, I, when, when I first saw that he liked it, I, I, I was, my immediate thought was like, I wonder if he agrees with me because he's like, why am I on the power play? Get me off of this. You know, I, I, I would say this and let me, let me go back into my, my very uneventful <laughs> athletic career and say that when I was in high school, I was, uh, I was on the track and field team and you're probably looking at me and saying clearly a sprinter. Um, but no, I, I was <laughs> a thrower. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I was guessing hurdles. <laughs> I threw the discus and the shot and that was, that was really nice. all I was there for. And it just so happened that just based on where I went to high school and how small it was and, and everything was that the middle school team and the high school team always had meets at the same time and things like that. Our middle school team, this is when I was a junior in high school, um, our middle school team only had three runners and they wanted to enter a relay. And so they said, hey, can you uh, can you be the fourth man on this relay? I was like. <laughs> I'm yeah. here to throw things. I'm not fast. I'm not even in, in really good shape. And you're going to put me out there running. And right. sure enough, I end up, you know, running a, a quarter mile on this track with the relay team. And it was <laughs> it was just beyond a nightmare for me. And I hated every minute of it. But I'm sure someone <laughs> had tweeted and said, like, Sean Smith on the uh, on the four man one mile relay is, is, is not is belong. I would go like you. Right. You got it. Yeah. You figured yeah, it yeah. out. So, it, I right. I exactly. Know. And it could be, it could be that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it, but I, I just thought it was funny that um, it, the other thing that's funny about it is that it, it happened immediately after the game. I mean, the guys, the guys basically still got his gear on and he's in the locker room, but anyways, having said all that, the, the special teams has not been very good. Either. Oh, actually the power, the penalty kill has, was better on Saturday. Power play looks about the same. Uh, they got the one power play goal that was on a five on three. I mean, you would expect that, but then outside of that, the power play just does not look any different than the last few years. So that's just going to keep happening, I guess. But I noticed, I noticed a lot of dump ins on the power play, and that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, carry carry ins are are bad. Uh, they are they cannot handle the pressure well. Um, they try to do some high low stuff where they get they get someone on a like on a bumper play type or they get some some east west stuff where they get the two wings uh, either Forsberg or Tolvanen to to get an open look but they just they have not really gotten anything of quality um, so far so anyways uh, we are about done with today's show but let's talk real quick about the week ahead. Um, so Tuesday, the Predators played the Los Angeles Kings. That is the Victor Arvidsson Revenge Tour. He scored his first goal last night, by the way, for the Kings on the power play, I, I think. And uh, so Tuesday, Victor Arvidsson returns. Should be I, I would be willing to bet there's a tribute video of some sort about Victor Arvidsson. Uh, hope he hope nothing happens and he's able to play in that game. I would assume he's able to play. Um, so that'll be fun. And uh, then Thursday, the New York Rangers come to town. Uh, both those are 7 p.m. starts. And then Saturday, they go to Winnipeg. So Saturday, mm. the Predators go to Winnipeg for the first time in two years, feels like. And uh, that's going to be that'll – be, that'll be a good good game there. 6 p.m. start on that one. So three big games this week. I think all three of these games are winnable. Los Angeles, very similar to the Predators in that they're kind of rebuilding some stuff. Same thing with the Rangers. They have some high-profile picks. They got a, 
Norris winning defenseman back there, but you know, you feel like you can beat the Rangers and the jets are your competition in the, uh, in the central. So um, three big, three big games. Any thoughts on how this turns out this week? I think they're all winnable games. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm very excited about the return of Victor Arvidsson. Just, <laughs> I've always liked Victor Arvidsson, so I'm, I'm happy to see him back. It's very odd for me to, to not see him out there, honestly. So uh, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, like, I hope there's no animosity, you know, I don't, I don't think there is, but I, I hope everything goes well. I hope, like you said, I hope he's able to play. Um, I don't think anything happens, but even, you know, we had the surprise yesterday of, of Connor Ingram being called up to Nashville due to Riddick going oh, on yeah. the COVID protocol. So I, have that. you know, I mean, right. things happen in this day and age with, with stuff that are kind of beyond anybody's control. So I, I assume he'll be there and I'm excited to see him play. I'm I'll be covering that one in person. So um, I'm we glad did I have get that, to see him. Uh, uh, that is a good point. We should bring that up. That, that David Riddick was uh, put on COVID protocol. Yeah. However, remember, uh, we already know that 100% of the Predators yeah. team is vaccinated. So yeah. I, I, I imagine that means he probably will be back on Tuesday because he probably just might have been a contact tracing thing. Or maybe he just had yeah. a positive test and then he'll get a negative one to, to get back. But anyways, yes, that that, that, that did happen as well. So yeah. Um, I don't expect too many too many roster changes up up through Tuesday. I think we'll probably see no. something similar to Thursday or Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping that we see we're seeing Tomasino again, and I, I'd yeah. really like to see Tolvanen playing with him, with he and Glass. Um, I'm surprised though, Alex. Really, uh, you you pulled some highlights, you pulled some clips, but I didn't think that you would pass on the uh, the bash brothers hit on tony d'angelo i thought that would be a moment of celebration today, but oh i um, i didn't see oh uh, wait are you talking about um i think i'm i think i i, I might have seen this i'm not sure the, the, so it was, what happened jano and trinan smashed d'angelo oh okay at the same time it was it was a beautiful beautiful hit it was just poetic justice that it was d'angelo. i must have missed that uh, i was, but, I was uh, we can we can save it for the next time they play Carolina as a as a preview. Yeah, go back and find that one. That's, <laughs> oh, it was it was a thing of beauty. Happened yeah. right in front of where we were sitting too. Kids, the kids <laughs> who were huge Mighty Ducks movie fans were they called it out immediately. Like, oh, he just did the Bash Brothers. Like, it, was, <laughs> it was great. So it was an. Well, you can check out you can check out all of our hockey coverage at a to z sportsnashville.com and then also go to on the read sean and all of his friends at otf to, to see what they're talking about about the predators as well you can follow me on twitter at alex darty one follow sean on twitter at scsotf uh any final thoughts before we conclude um not really i'm just I'm glad we're, i'm glad we're back in real hockey that's i'm happy to be talking about games that matter and uh, hopefully everyone out there listening is enjoying what we have to say. That's right. All right. See you everyone next week.